The Holy Spirit has recorded for us these biographies in the Scripture, the Old Testament saints, and have summarized their lives for us in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. And that chapter contains the most complete record of faith found in the Bible. In these biographical sketches, we get a glimpse of what faith really looks like through the eyes of real people as they are. They're all ordinary and sinful people, but they are recorded here because of the distinguishing fact that they took God at His Word and believed it. They rested upon it. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six tells us, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that in the Christian's life, faith is the operating principle. But in the life of the non-Christian, faith is absent. It's nowhere to be found. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 tells us, The just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10 verse 38, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The first faith, the man, the first man of faith who's mentioned in the Bible is Abel. As we look at Abel and his sacrifice, his offering, we see that his faith was that which enabled him to approach God and to worship Him acceptably. In verse 5 of our text, we read of Enoch who walked with God back in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 7, Noah who worked for God. But it is significant that the first we read of Abel is one who worshipped God. For worship is the highest function of the human soul. And only as we are able to worship can we walk by faith and and work for God. Worship precedes, our worship precedes our work. But the question is, how can a man approach God and be accepted by Him? It is the piercing question down through the ages which must be answered. Men down through the ages have tried to approach God in, in various ways. Cain was not rejected by God because his offering, he was rejected by God because his offering was not acceptable to God. Abel was accepted because the offering that he brought was acceptable to God. We are all either like Abel or Cain. Everyone under the sound of my voice today is under the the, the leadership of Cainites or the Abelites, if there could be such a word. We're all in one or two categories of those who are resting their souls and their lives in obedience to the revealed Word of God, or those who are winging it or coming up with some way to impress God. It's either salvation by grace, plus nothing or minus nothing, conditions to salvation or repentance and faith, and resting in His promise alone, or in works. All the religions of the world can be put in one of those two categories. True heart rests in the work of Christ or in the work of man. Now, we would ask, how did Abel exercise faith in the Lord? 
what faith which made him acceptable to the Lord enabled him to worship him and have assurance of his salvation. First of all, Abel's faith was an obedient faith. It was a, a believing faith without human scheming, without adding to the Word of God, without relying on human methods, without human reasoning. Abel obeyed God by coming to him in the prescribed way. We, we picture here two men from the first home, Cain and Abel. And the Bible tells us it shows that Cain was born first. Sometimes you'll read commentaries that it points out this is the first sibling rivalry. I'm not sure about that. We know that from the beginning of time, there was the firstborn that was taught in the Scripture, the rights of the firstborn, the blessing of the firstborn. And many read into it that Cain was very jealous of Abel, thinking that because God received his sacrifice, that he would rule over him, and he lost his place. Now that's reading into it, but that may have been perhaps part of the motivation for murdering his brother. People will go to great extremes to protect their standing, their position. But in Genesis chapter 4, the text before us, we read, In the process of time, in, uh, in verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass. And that phrase means, actually means in the end of days, or at the end of a certain amount of days. And we can only surmise this is at the end of the week. And God established the six days thou shalt labor. And at the end of the days, which would clearly mean on the Sabbath day, these men brought their offerings, their sacrifices, on the day that God rested. And we can sense, no doubt, without reading too much here, that God showed His... How was it that God showed His accepting of one's offering and His rejection of the other? Could it have been as He did in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24? The Bible says there when they offered the sacrifice that fire came out from the, before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. For which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. It was a very dramatic obvious outward display of Jehovah's acceptance of the sacrifice. And while we're not told in Genesis 4 that this took place, there was an obvious and open acceptance of God for Abel's sacrifice in his outright rejection of Cain. The Bible tells us in verse 2 that Cain brought. And the word brought there means to an appointed place. They were pre-instructed. We're going to see as we look at the Scripture, they were bringing something to a place at a time prescribed by God. This wasn't in darkness or just trying to figure it out or let's come up with a way to express our faith or do what we feel like doing within our hearts. That's, that's nothing of the kind. They were bringing an offering to God to an appointed place to worship. An altar... And all this indicates that they had been instructed, that they'd been taught. How would they either one have known to bring anything at all had there not be some, been some instruction? Both these brothers were sinners because their parents were sinners. And God preached the gospel to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. And some say that when, when Eve saw Cain, she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, that she was convinced that perhaps he was the promised seed, the promised Messiah, because God had told her, through you, 
that will come through the woman, the seed of the woman will come the Messiah. I have gotten a man from the Lord. This man, child that God has given me, could it be the Savior? She had every reason to think that it would be, except he couldn't have been because he was a sinner. He was born of a sinful mother and a sinful father, but she no doubt harbored that promise of God that He would bring a Savior while she didn't fully understand the mysteries of God. Could it be hers? Could this son be Him? And did she raise Him with that idea in His mind that He was somewhat favored, that He might be the the promise of God? And maybe that was why Cain was so protective of his position and his animosity toward his brother when God clearly accepted his brother's sacrifice and rejected his. I want you to know this morning that we have the very same nature that Adam and Eve had and that their children inherited to this very day that we're all sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we know that Abel offered his blood sacrifice by faith. You'll recall the text that we just read in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. It's very clear. There's no leeway here. It's, it's obvious. The Bible tells us that he offered it by faith. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. How is faith brought? Is it just caught in a vacuum? Did we just wake up one morning with faith? You know exactly how faith comes. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, in Romans 10 verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. These boys were taught by their parents who were taught. Look over, if you will, in the, the previous chapter there, the Bible tells us that the Lord God took skins in verse 21 of chapter 3. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. We would have to think that in that great display of rejecting their covering for their sin, they came up with their own way and God said that's not acceptable. There will be no remission of sin except by the shedding of blood. In a very graphic and we may say gross way, in the Hebrew, the intent are long tunics that God made from these these animals. And that can only be done by the shedding of blood. You don't get an animal skin without the shedding of the blood. The first sacrifice was offered by God on behalf of Adam and Eve in a graphic, clear, open way. This is what sin looks like. And this is the payment for sin. The precious blood of an innocent one. So he gave great instruction there. If Abel offered by faith a more acceptable sacrifice... He was taught to do that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. His parents, no doubt, taught both the boys the way to approach the Lord is in this way. Now, the skinning of animals and slaying them and shedding their blood did not remove their sin. The Bible tells us in that same book in the Hebrew, by the shedding of, of, of animals, blood was never, their blood was never sin excused or forgiven. But... There must be this outward sign of what God is going to do and has promised to do in Genesis 3 verse 15. God had given His word about the matter to Cain and Abel or they would never have come. Abel could have never come in obedient faith had he not been instructed and taught and made aware, fully informed. And we cannot think that if Abel was, the younger brother that Cain was not as well. 
No, these boys had had instruction clearly taught by their parents of how they were to approach the Lord. Well, we know this. Cain did not come in faith. He came in stubborn, willful works. Cain, the Bible tells us, brought the fruit of the ground. There's nothing wrong with fruit. The Lord gave them the ability to harvest, to plant, to shepherd the crops just as He did the animals. But I'm wondering here, if you read the Scripture, it says that the Bible says in verse 2, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. It does not say that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a keeper of the of the tiller of the ground as if that's okay, you do this and I'll do this. We're all different. We'll do our different ways. It seems to me in the reading of the Scripture that both boys were to be primarily be shepherds. The harvesting of food was so available there even though it was under the curse. And the Bible there very clearly tells us this counter-distinction. Abel, a keeper of sheep, but... As if there's a problem here. That Cain, in his own effort to do his own thing, had already departed from what was taught to him. And it may not be, it may be an overly precise interpretation of the Scripture, but we do know there's a distinction made there by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with fruit. There's nothing wrong with vegetables. We live by them. And I don't believe that Cain brought the leftovers Some people give to God that way. After they've done everything else, they've paid all their bills and done everything they wanted to, then they think, well, we might ought to to recommend and do something for the Lord. Some people are very stingy with their giving toward the Lord. But I don't think that Cain did that. Cain brought the best from his garden. I believe it would have, have won the blue ribbon at the fair. Some of us are old enough to remember the the tents at the fair Oh, the Birmingham, the, the Jefferson County Fairgrounds. How many of you remember the, the fairgrounds? Was that not an amazing thing? You'd go to the fairgrounds, and the last time we went, Leah was about two years old. I don't know if Leah remembers this, but at the gate of the fairgrounds, there was an organ grinder with a little monkey on a chain. And you'd give him money. That little monkey ran up to, to Leah and she flipped out. And the, no matter what else we saw at the fair, she was done in for the night. That, if that's what you, how you're greeted at the door, what will happen to you if you go in one of those tents? And we had to virtually drag her the rest of the way. But you would go in tents and they would have pumpkins as big as the Volkswagen. Huge things and beautiful fruit and the best roses in the county and the best, the, the, every area. Uh, canned goods, the best you know, preserves and jellies and artwork. and It was just tent after tent of it. And people brought their best and vied for the blue ribbon to, to, to win it. And I think Cain, he was trying so much to impress the Lord that, that he was good and that he could do something noble. And I believe he brought, it was probably more beautiful than any wedding you've ever seen. Uh, could he, we could see that he built a bower of flowers and fruits and vegetables, like the Rosebow Parade. All those floats are made out of uh, fruits and vegetables and, and, and uh, things, organic things. 
Oh, the mind is so creative, inventive. And God told the, them to, be, to have dominion over the earth. He brought the best, the most beautiful, the most luscious fruit, I believe. And I believe it was beautifully arranged, an altar, a bower made just for the worship of God. It appealed to the senses, as all human worship does. It's, it's, it's appealing to the, 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 the flesh. And I'm sure as Cain dusted his hands after he finished this glorious display, and after all, did God not raise these things? Did God not create these things? He probably offered it back to the Lord in that way. And he was the smile on his face was crushed when the Lord, if He sent fire from heaven or however He approved of His brother's sacrifice and His was left there to wilt. He was wroth. His brother Abel came bringing the firstlings of his flock. A lamb absolute perfect without spot or blemish. The fat thereof. Folks, it's a gross picture of a dissected animal. The skin being divided and chopped up and the fat separated. And it burned on the altar. The blood flowing. Sacrifice. A bloody sacrifice. A lamb that would represent the Lamb of God who would one day come to take away the sin of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And He did it by faith. That could not have been appealing to Abel. The whole process was repulsive. He couldn't see Christ's bloody sacrifice on the cross, but He had been taught and shown by His parents the truth that is in God, from God, so that He came in faith bringing a blood sacrifice. Cain's offering was more attractive than Abel's. All of us would have been drawn to it. We would have all stood there as in the county fair tent with the roses and all the other things and said, look at this. How could someone come up with such a thing? But Hebrews eleven six remind us, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He's there, that He's the authority, and that will come in the way that He's prescribed, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently, carefully, truthfully seek Him. Our Lord told the woman at the well, God is seeking those who worship Him in spirit and in truth, from the heart and by His Word. God had told these boys' parents the way of salvation. And so we have them bringing their sacrifices. Abel's faith was an obedient faith. Secondly, I want us to see that Abel's faith was a repentant faith. And as we look at these two offerings, there's no hint of any acknowledgement of sin on Cain's part. But Abel's sacrifice and offering speaks of man's sin and the remedy for man's sin, the shedding of blood... Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. The remission means the sending away. As the scapegoat in the wilderness was, the priest would lay his hand on him, and he would be sent away to show that this innocent one was bearing the weight of the people's sin. Cain and Abel are Old Testament counterparts 
of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18. You'll recall in that portion of Scripture, the publican, the tax collector, who'd sold out to the Roman government to fleece the people for as much money as he could get and to self-aggrandize himself, was repentant, begging, beating his chest, saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Pharisee came to the temple as well and looked over there and said, Look at him! How despicable! What a creature! I'm so glad I'm not like him! I'm so glad I know the truth that I tithe, that the mint and the coming, I tithe even from the herbs that I grow in my garden. I've got every base covered, every box checked. He wasn't praying. He was giving God a report about how good he was. How much religion is that way? How much of what goes on in places of worship today is an offering to the Lord of what people can come up with, recommending ourselves to God without repenting and coming in faith and seeking Remission of sins from the Lord. The publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cain obviously was praying that from the heart as he brought his sacrifice to the Lord because our Lord said, Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. James 4 verse 6, God resisted the proud. That's a military term of His own strength. He resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. The old hymn says, all that He requireth is that you feel your need of Him. Oh, the grace of our Lord so graciously given to those who come in His prescribed way. Abel's faith was an obedient faith. His faith was a repentant faith. And we know that it was because the Bible says he was just, he was made righteous. But thirdly, Abel's faith was based on God's Word. This was all a, a picture, an object lesson of what Christ would come to do. As Abel brought his bloodiest sacrifice, no doubt he was saying, Oh God, I am a sinner. This innocent animal was slain because of my sin. I've broken your holy word just as my parents did. Maybe not in the same way, but from my heart and from my willingness to have my own way, I deserve to die in my sins. But you gave my mother and father a promise to that one day, one would come who would take our sins away. And we show that we take you at your word by coming in this way. I come to you as you commanded me to come to show you that I believe your word. Your word is true. I receive it. Lord, accept the life and the blood of this innocent animal, this innocent lamb in place of my life. And forgive my sins for the sake of the lamb who is to come. Your only son. Abel based his offering and his coming to God on the word of God. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In first John one seven, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cain's offering, on the other hand, though beautiful as it was, it wasn't brought in faith. It was brought in willful disobedience. His offering, unlike his brothers, didn't represent anything, did it? What did the fruit of the ground represent? 
It had nothing, no connotation of sin about it or offering for sin. And it certainly wasn't the prescribed way. Some I've heard say, poor Cain, he didn't have a lamb to offer. He didn't know. We'll give all kinds of excuses for Cain who sinned wide-eyed and high-handed against the God of heaven. Now, in verse 7, if you'll read there, God is speaking to Cain. He's rejected his offering. He's obviously received Abel's, and it could have been by a fiery annihilation of it. But however it was, he accepted it. He tells Cain in verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. That phrase there is interesting. There are differences of opinion about what that means. Sin lieth at the door. Some say that God is graciously saying, Cain, there's a sin offering lying at the door. That he had provided one for Cain if he would just walk out and get it and slay it in faith and obey him. Sin lieth at the door. But if we continue reading... And unto thee shall his desire be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. It's a very interesting verse. Others say that sin is being depicted as a ravening animal who's going to overtake Cain if he does not repent and submit himself to God's authority. So which is it? I believe it means both. I believe we can see that God is so gracious, he, it would be just like Him to provide an animal at the door of the tent for, for Cain to take. And we know the other is true because Cain walks out in willful disobedience, never obeying the Lord, and the curse is given upon him. He will never repent. He, he refuses to repent. And we saw the sordidness of the rest of his story. Romans 8 verse 1 Tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Could there be any more joyful sound to hear this morning than no condemnation? In Hebrews 11.4 we read that Abel's faith is still speaking. And it is, isn't it? I'm preaching it this morning. As long as there's life, as long as people will be on earth, as long as there's a preaching of God's Word, Abel will be testifying by his obedient faith. But Cain is preaching as well, isn't he? The way of the transgressor is hard. He that being often reproved shall be suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. They're both are preaching to us today. There is only one acceptable way for a man to approach a perfect and holy God. It's on His terms. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. What is the way of salvation? And how do we know it? Where would we find it? It can only be in the pages of this book. It cannot be from the philosophies of man or the religions of men. We can't just guess it. Our immortal souls are at stake. Eternity lies in the balance. I asked a person recently that would not come to, the, to this place. If you were to die today, where would you go? And based upon what? That's not opinion. Everyone under the sound of my voice is an immortal soul. And you're headed into eternity. And you're one heartbeat from eternity. Where will that be? To the believing thief... The cross, what did Jesus tell him? In a million years, you might get to heaven. Is that what he told him? 
after you do certain things and your loved ones on earth do certain things and make some arrangements and give enough or do, you might get to heaven. That man who could do nothing but believe, who turned in repentant faith, he started out cursing, didn't he? Both of them on either side. Who do you think you are? If you're God, why don't you get down and take us down with you? They were both cursing and railing, but somewhere along the way, that one thief stopped cursing and started believing. Lord, he calls him, sovereign ruler over me, remember me. Oh, what a simple prayer. Oh, what a powerful Savior. Oh, what a powerful gospel that will reach a person at their lowest place and save them. If you're under the sound of my voice, there's hope for you today. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. You didn't do it. You're not a murderous thief, are you? And maybe you are. That ought to be more encouragement. But most people wouldn't fall into that category of sin. But I want you to know to sin in thought or intent is just as bad as those men were on either side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of them was saved, weren't they? What did He tell him? Oh, what a verity it is. Today thou shalt be with me. Today. And Paul tells us to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. We're one heartbeat from eternity. Which way is it for you? Your works will not save you. Cain's beautiful flower arrangement and vegetable altar did not save him. It was repulsive to God because it was the fruit, the work of His hands. And everything we touch as human beings, we contaminate. The purest of motives is from a heart of sin. But to Abel, he accepted it. Abel was not saved by the animal's blood that was poured out on that altar. He was saved by faith, Hebrews tells us. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. And so I ask you at the end of this message, have you come to God in His prescribed way? Resting, repenting, relying on the Word of God. Resting your soul there. There is a rest, the Hebrews writer of Hebrews says, for the people of God. There remains a rest to those who will come to Christ and commit their soul to Him. There's nothing to do but believe. What else could you do? What could you add to the finished perfect work of Jesus Christ. How many churches could you join? How many religious deeds could you do? And, and when would you know that you'd reached the, the point, the tipping point, I'm in now, I've done it. All the religions of the world, there's, there's no assurance of forgiveness of sin. I was asking our, our missionary last week, Matt Hancock, missionary to Cambodia, in the religions, I asked him, I said, is there any assurance of those people that their sins are forgiven in their systems of religion? They bake food on dead people's day, the day of the dead. They make lavish feasts like you would on Thanksgiving and offer it out for nobody to eat. They wind up eating it themselves in an effort to appease God. God didn't ask us to come to Him in that way, did He? See what man comes up with? The most torturous as nine things. No matter how beautiful or how appealing it may be. Oh no. If you're accepted by God today, you will come by a bloody cross. 
the wounds of Christ, the sinless, perfect Son of God, offered for you in full payment for the debt you owe but could never in a thousand lifetimes pay, what would you give in exchange for your soul? What could you give? Uh, nothing. Whatever you'd put in that blank would fall short, wouldn't it? We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, but the promise I quote almost each week. To as many as received Him, rested in Him, relied upon His Word. To Him gave He the power. The, 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 the conversion, the saving, the regenerating is all His doing. To them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Come, agreeing with Him that you've sinned against His holy law. That's first base. So many people never get there. I don't think Cain was ever convinced that he'd done anything wrong. What do you? I'm from the same home as my brother. I've done as good as he has. He lied to Daddy the other day. I can see you can tell brothers, can't you? If you've got a brother, you can tell a brother. I have two. And I love them. They're both very wonderful men today. <laughs> 45 years ago, not so much. In the home, in the nitty-gritty round of life, you know. It takes some time to work all those things out. But we can only imagine. We come agreeing with Him that we've sinned against His law and turn from His sin by faith and receive Him. Call on Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That thief did, didn't he? Take him, take his pattern. Take the Lord's word, but take that pattern. If you need a pattern of salvation, that's one of the most beautiful. There are many in the scripture. We've got one before us, but that one, that one you can rest your soul upon. Lord, would you take your word today and bring many sons to glory? Lord, would you show your people the simplicity of faith in Christ? of resting in Your Word, not in something we can do. Lord, if Your Spirit has worked upon the hearts of listeners today where they've been alarmed to their condition and to the fact that a yawning eternity is out there before them, oh Lord, may they give up all hope of themselves or the religion or anything they can do and rest in Christ, come to Christ, bow before Him in Your heart and mind and receive Him. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.